great to have you here again. I'm Caroline Heim, for those that don't know me, and this is podcast two in the series, Overcome Negative Thoughts, Overcome Useless Thoughts. This is for everyone wanting to improve their thought life to make their mind a better place. I'm working on it too, believe me. So if you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word, and recommend them to others. In these uncertain times, please remember you are a very special individual with unique gifts. Here's Dr. Christian Heim. Hello, Dr. Christian Heim here with this podcast series to help you overcome negative thoughts, overcome useless thoughts. Now, last podcast, we looked at the five characteristics of thoughts, thanks to William James, and we looked at thoughts in scientific fact, philosophical speculation, and ancient wisdom. Plus, I introduced the two basic thought skills, the knack of noticing thoughts and working with your thoughts, writing it down. In this podcast, we look at the importance of seeing thoughts as useful and useless rather than positive and negative. We also look at your brain and how it's less like a computer and more like a big city. And then we start the practice. I put you to work because this is all about developing skills to overcome useless thoughts. We apply the knack and working with your thoughts. You want to be able to formulate your goal about your thought life and begin to control the garbage in your mind. First of all, though, I've got to give you the bad news. And the bad news is that we all have horrible thoughts. And that is actually why you are here. In fact, I cannot tell you some of the horrible thoughts that people have that I have worked with and that I experience myself. Now, the reason that I say that is if you have absolutely horrible thoughts, and I mean absolutely horrible thoughts, you're not alone. It is actually normal in the human experience to have horrible thoughts, also wonderful thoughts, but what we're doing here is we're making them useful and useless. So I just wanted to let you know that so that you know that it is actually a battle. The enemy is useless thoughts. There is a battle going on in your mind and you are not alone and this will help. But let me start off with a story. This is a story which is a cautionary tale to illustrate the importance of useful thoughts and useless thoughts rather than positive thoughts and negative thoughts. All right, because as a clinician, I actually have seen disastrous results of positive thinking, which can sometimes be useless. And I've seen the dangers of neglecting negative thoughts, which are useful. But let's get to the story. This story comes out of Framingham, Massachusetts, a wonderful city of 70,000 people, one of my favorite places, even though I've never been there. Why is it my favorite place? Because I, like every doctor, get up in the morning and give praise for the people of Framingham, Massachusetts. Because in that city, we have had the long-running Framingham Heart Study, which has given us the amazing information that lets us know about the problems of high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, cigarette smoking, and how these are cardinal risk factors for heart disease. Now we're looking at people from Framingham on stroke, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, epigenetics, and more. People of Framingham, thank you very much. Oh, that's right. I was going to tell you a story. Let me get on to it. Once upon a time, 
in Framingham, Massachusetts, lived the golden girl. She was the one with the bright smile and she was able to make everybody feel good. She wanted to walk on the moon. She wanted to fly into outer space, just like Collins and Aldrin and Armstrong in 1969. But instead, she became a teacher, just like her mother was a teacher. The closest she came to her space dream was marrying her high school sweetheart, who was a military man. They had two beautiful children, and she was the well-loved teacher with the bright, happy, smiling enthusiasm. She never let go of her dream. And one day, it was announced. Ronald Reagan announced the Teacher in Space program. And so she, the golden girl, Krista, was the one chosen out of more than 11,000 applicants. George Bush proudly announced that she would fly into outer space with six astronauts. Her radiant smile and her balanced demeanor captured the public's imagination. Krista loved the media attention, which thrived on her being at her enthusiastic best. But there was a rocket engineer. His name was Roger Beaujolais. He had niggling negative thoughts. He was worried. He had negative thoughts about the rocket's O-ring seals that could fail if the Challenger space shuttle were launched on a day that was too cold. He shared his negative thoughts with other people, but he was put down as a pessimist. Be all right, Roger. Don't worry about it. They wouldn't listen. For months and months, he urged people to listen. He knocked on doors. He made phone calls. But as a negative thinker, a spoil sport, a pessimist and a naysayer, he was disregarded. Others decided to take the positive point of view. Then, on the 28th of January, 1986, 73 seconds after takeoff, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded, killing our golden girl, Krista McAuliffe, six astronauts, and the nation's dream. I was part of the multitudes around the world who wished her well. I saw it on television. It was a horrible sight to see. What was more horrible is when we found out that something like this was predicted, preventable, and it was all told to us by a negative thinker. Look, when we go to parties, it's fine to be positive, enthusiastic, and supportive. But when it comes to critical thinking, it's actually important to also listen to the negative thoughts that we have. Being positive feels great, but criticisms, doubts, exploring problems, raising concerns, seeing the glasses half empty and even spoiling parties have their important place when it comes to critical thinking and progress. When things go wrong, optimists despair. If only we knew. Pessimists despair if only they listen to us. If only we realized we couldn't trust Hitler. Negative thinkers knew that we couldn't trust Hitler and he could have been stopped before World War II. If only we knew a big hurricane was coming to New Orleans. Negative thinkers knew that big hurricanes were coming and they saw and told us that New Orleans levees were not good enough. If only we knew about the large earthquake and tsunami which was coming to Fukushima. 
Negative thinkers knew that there were large earthquakes and tsunamis coming to Fukushima, and they told us that the nuclear facility there had to be built at a higher standard. So this story about the Space Shuttle Challenger is just another example of positive thinkers saying it'll be okay, it'll be wonderful, and negative thinkers getting it right about an upcoming disaster. Which is why, as a psychiatrist, I encourage people not to aim for positive thinking. Always aim for useful thinking. If you go for positive thinking, you'll end up like the Monty Python skit, when they're all hanging on crosses and somebody says, cheer up, Brian, you know what they say, always look on the bright side of life. And before you know it, you're whistling about an absolutely dreadful situation. I want to let you know what's useful about negative thinking. Constructive criticism which feels bad and feels negative, leads to improvement in all of us. And that is the case if you play a musical instrument, play a sport, or want to pass an exam. Doubt leads you to look closer for the reality of a situation. Actually, this is how science works. Science works but with negative thinking, with doubt and skepticism, you come up with an idea and you do all that you can to prove it wrong. And if it's still standing after all of that, then perhaps you have a theory worth listening to. All of science works with doubt, skepticism and negative thinking. Anybody can praise you, but it takes a true friend to criticize you. Criticism builds resilience Kites rise highest against the wind, and criticism builds strength. Remember that tempests strengthen trees. If we listen to negative thinkers, we could forestall and foresee major disasters. They're all the useful things about negative thinking. Now, I've got to give you some reasons why positive thinking can often be useless. Think about being flattered or told things by people and then you know what? You learn the truth later. It feels good, but when you learn the truth, you become disillusioned. Positive thinking also means that we avoid harsh but important realities. We have scientific evidence to show that we all have what's called optimism bias, which means that if there's some bad outcomes there, we actually believe that it won't happen to us. So, People who speed in cars know that they are taking risks, but they actually believe that they're going to be okay, that it'll happen to somebody else. And unfortunately, disasters happen. And the science shows that we all think this way. The other thing that's useless about positive thinking is it means that your bad habits and your bad behaviors go unchallenged and uncorrected. So I do want you to go for useful thinking, not positive thinking, and to discard useless thinking, not negative thinking. But let's face it, a lot of negative thinking is totally useless, it's counterproductive, and it's hardly worth expressing. However, when you have some negative thoughts, think of asking yourself these questions. What can I learn from my negative thoughts? What emotions are driving my negative thoughts? 
and can I put my negative thoughts to good use? With those three questions, then you have a chance to move your negative thinking to useful thinking. Find the useful, discard the useless, no matter if things are positive or negative. Enough of that, I wanna take you back to the brain because the brain is fascinating. The brain is one of the undiscovered frontiers of our universe. We are still only just beginning to understand the brain. And it seems like we've had an explosion of brain information, but don't be fooled by it all. We actually don't understand yet. To understand the brain and the mind, we use models. These models are like analogies to help us understand. So I wanna take you from one brain model, the model of the brain as a computer, to a more recent model, the brain as a living and thriving metropolis. All right, the brain as a computer. Last century, we developed computers. This gave us a model to help us understand how the brain works, because superficially, you know what? The brain looks like a computer. It seems like, just like a computer, gets input, and then it stores and processes information and comes up with an output. It looks like the brain gets input from the environment through our five senses, what we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we taste and what we see. And then inside the brain, we get information stored in our memory. We process this information and then we make decisions. And then we get an output from our decisions to either move the body or say some things which will bring some information outside of us to change the environment. It's a great model right? And it's been very useful because it's given us some ideas of how the brain works because there is some reality in the brain being a little bit like a computer. For example, and this is really useful, we know that if you feed a computer garbage, you'll get garbage out of the computer. And this can happen in your brain as well. If you feed your brain a whole lot of garbage, you will get garbage thoughts. You will have experienced that. However, we have grown in our understanding enormously in the last few decades. We now tend to highlight the differences between a brain and a computer. And these differences include the following. Your brain is alive. A computer is dead. A brain can create information. A computer can't. Your brain can change itself moment to moment. A computer never changes. Your brain creatively thinks, feels, hopes, and imagines. A computer has got no idea what feelings, hopes, or imaginations are. Each brain is unique. Your brain is unique. Computer models, once we set our minds on our models, they're more or less the same and the brain experiences and processes emotions. Computers don't. In fact, a brain will often make decisions based on emotions, and it can change its mind based on emotions and based on new information. A computer doesn't do any of these things. And the most important thing I believe is that we can build and we can improve our computers. We can't build a brain. We are nowhere near that sort of uh, level of sophistication.
Okay, so in the 90s, one important leap forward in the brain understanding was articulated by Portuguese neuroscientist Antonio Damasio. What did Antonio Damasio do for us? He wrote a wonderful book called Descartes' Error. In this, he articulated the importance of emotions and the body in brain function rather than just our thinking. He was particularly talking about our capacity to make decisions. The brain, he said, doesn't make decisions according to well-thought-out, clear and distinct ideas as René Descartes thought. Emotions and bodily sensations contribute in a huge way. Now, who knows this better than anybody else? Marketing psychologists. People who want to make some money out of you know how to get that money from you. And so they understand the brain better than anybody else, in a sense. They understand that our consumer decisions are driven mostly by our emotions, our need for love, our need for a belonging, our need for approval, our need to impress other people, our need for status, and our quest to avoid loneliness, that's a big one, and feel good about ourselves and our appearances. And it is these things, these emotional states, that drive our consumer decisions. Bodily sensations, too, drive our uh, decision-making process. When you are sexually aroused, you will make different decisions than when you are not. And if it's summer, you are more likely to buy some products than not. And if it's winter and you're cold, you're more likely to buy other products than not. These are bodily sensations that impinge on deciding whether you're going to buy an ice cream or you're going to buy a, a sweater or whatever, okay? It all impacts our decision-making. Now, the, uh, Antonio Damasio saw that the brain's frontal lobe, the thinking there, the limbic system emotions and the bodily sensations, they work together as a unity in any decision we make. So Antonio Damasio, in a sense, said, René Descartes was wrong. It is not, I think, therefore I am. It's more like, I think, I feel, and I sense, therefore I am. Imagine only a computer that would change its mind depending on the weather, or whether it was sexually excited, anxious, or in a good mood. Now, there comes a point where the brain as a computer just doesn't work as an analogy anymore because the brains are so much more complex. So we are beginning to appreciate that our brain, with its thoughts traveling down neural pathways, is far more complex, rich, and unpredictable than a computer. We need a richer model. And the model that I'm giving to you uh, is the brain as a city, a thriving metropolis like New York City, Tokyo, London, or Rio de Janeiro. And these are growing, vibrant metropolises. They're not just a lump of plastic with silicon chips in it. Uh, I first uh, got this analogy from Susan Greenfield. She wrote a book called Mind Change. I believe it was in 2014. I highly recommend the book uh, to you. She describes how our brains share many characteristics common to other cities. Just like each city has streets, and buildings, and people, and interactions, and infrastructure, and nightlife, and culture, our brains have some things that are the same as well. We have uh, neurons, axons, dendrites, lobes, and all of those things. But if you've traveled from one city to another, you know that cities are unique, that they are all different. 
And I'll say it again, your brain is unique. There is no brain exactly like yours that has ever lived in this whole universe. It is a network unto itself. All right, so think of a person in the city being like a single neuron in the brain. Your neuron in your brain has a job to do, and it's connected to many others. Billions of neurons in a brain, like millions of people in a city. All of the neurons, like the people, are part of a greater whole. Neurons work, work together to carry out specialized functions, hearing, seeing, planning, uh, encoding information, decoding language, making decisions, supporting the immune system, getting the body to move, storing and modulating information, planning for the future. There are neurons in your brain to do everything. Likewise, people in a city work together in certain functions, in education, in the government, in the health sector, making policies, keeping the place secure, recording information, and planning for the future. The brain, like a city, is also shaped by its environment. Cities in cold climates are very different to cities in tropical climates. So if your brain lives in your body in a cold climate, it's a very different brain to a brain that lives in a person in a hot climate because you interact with your environment differently. And just as we people interact, cities interact with each other. When cities interact with other cities to do trade, travel, get to know each other, uh, it adds to each city's unique culture, richness, uh, richness and vitality. Just like interacting with other people, when you share feelings, identity and even conflict, it will shape each person's rich, unique personality and brain. Yeah, fine, Christian. So a brain is like a city. Big deal. What's that got to do with me? Why are you going on with all of this? I want you to imagine that you are mayor of your city and you can choose to have more useful thoughts and less useless thoughts. This is where we start to go to work. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where it'll all start happening. For this, you will need a journal, either a writing exercise book or a computer file, whatever works for you, because guess what? I'm, get you, I'm going to get you to write it down so that you can work with your thoughts. So the two core skills, noticing with the knack and writing thoughts down. Now, these two skills will sound simple and obvious, but it will take a lifetime to get on top of, and when you do, you will overcome useless thoughts. They are, to this series of podcasts, what hitting a forehand or serving is to a tennis player, what scales and arpeggios are to musicians, and what dribbling and passing are to soccer players and basketballers. These are the basic core skills, so let's get into them. Basic thought skill number one, the knack of noticing your thoughts. Remember the five characteristics of thoughts. Thank you, William James. You own your thoughts. Your thoughts are in constant motion. Your thoughts are continuous on your stream of consciousness. Your thoughts are about things. And your thoughts about things are selective depending on you. And as I said last time, like a dog, you're responsible for the mess your thoughts make. So if you can train your dog and keep your thoughts where you want them to, 
You won't always win, but most of the time you can. And we're looking to make thoughts separate from us. And that is what noticing does. So currently you're listening to this podcast and this podcast is influencing the thoughts that you are having. Noticing is always the first step. Notice that you are separate from your thoughts. Notice your thoughts, to be aware of your thoughts, so that you can choose to concentrate on useful thoughts. The noticing question is, what am I thinking right now? You may be having thoughts like, Christian, I don't know what the hell you're going on about. And every now and again, you may have a thought like, oh, wow, I see what you mean. I get it. So we're going to come back to this skill of noticing that they're the sort of thoughts that you might be having. Now, obviously, I've got to come up with examples. Only you know what your thoughts actually are. So begin to notice them. When you notice them and become aware of them and choose to concentrate on what you want, you become in charge of your thoughts. Listen here at thoughts. Listen up. I used to be afraid of you, see? But now I'm learning to be in charge, see? I'm taking more control, see? So the jig is up, see? You're going to be listening to me, see? Things will be different here from now on, see? See? That's, well, that's actually being a gangster. It's not being mayor of your own city. I'd rather you be a mayor. So the task is this. At any time during the day, you can close your eyes and notice your thoughts by asking yourself the noticing question. What am I thinking right now? No need to react to your thoughts. No need to judge your thoughts. Just notice your thoughts, whatever it happens to be. Good or bad, positive, negative, useful or useless. Just become aware of your thoughts. Choose to keep some of your thoughts in your mind and concentrate on them long enough so that you can write them down. Aha, there we go. That's my segue into basic thought skill number two. Work with your thoughts. Write it down. Write your thoughts down. Write your beliefs down. Write your ideas down. Whatever they are, write it down. When I talked about the Hebrew Bible and Plato's Apology, in which he had the words of Socrates there, we have built up culture through writing things down. Once we write things down, we're able to scrutinize it, change it, work on it, refine it. They become objectified. So you as an individual can see that you are separate from your thought. You can read your thought. You can ponder your thought. You can scrutinize your thought and you can start to write other thoughts down and work on your thoughts. Okay, so here's your task. Make a list of your usual useless recurrent thoughts, thoughts that you want to overcome. Now, a lot of the thoughts are thoughts where you put yourself down or you're really pessimistic about your abilities to do things or you have some useless thought about you dying soon or something really bad is going to happen, but you have these thoughts and then there's the outright horrible thoughts. Write them down. Write down the thoughts that you want gone. At the end of this podcast you will be able to see if you have them gone or not. So you will have evidence for yourself to see if this podcast series is working for you or not. Write them down, capture them. Somewhere from about three to 12 thoughts that are your recurrent thoughts is ideal. 
after you have written your list of useless thoughts in your thought journal, you want to write out your personal goal about this podcast series. Something like, I want these thoughts changed into something useful. Or, I want to have much more useful thoughts than these. Write something that articulates what you want. Over time, refine the wording of your goal. Once you have these thoughts written down, you will be able to work to resolve, refute, understand, accept, overlook, change, or just let go of these useless thoughts so that they no longer bother you. Yeah, I'm loading you up with homework. Sorry about that. After that, you want to write out your consideration of this statement. What will overcoming useless thoughts feel like for me? How will my life change? It would be good if you could write a paragraph or even a page on something like that. The more detail you can give this, the better. Because what you'll be doing is painting a picture of the future, what your future is going to look like with more useful thoughts. And that means that your brain is already opening up pathways to look at that outcome so that it becomes real. Remember, if you aim for the stars, you may hit the moon. But if you don't aim for anything, you will hit nothing. So goal setting is important. But more than that, building a feeling and being able to see what the future will look like when you live that goal, that, I believe, becomes much more important. So those two skills, the knack of noticing your thoughts and working with your thoughts by writing them down, we're going to come back to those really, really often. This will help useful thinking. Just before we go, I'm going to give you one bonus idea to work on. And this actually comes from our analogy of the brain as a computer. If a computer is given garbage and it then gives garbage out, is it possible that if you put garbage into your brain, that garbage starts coming out? Check for yourself if some of those horror movies that you are watching or um, some of the entertainment that you're giving yourself is resulting in garbage thoughts inside of you. Only you can decide that. When I work with people who are addicted to drugs, let's say methamphetamine, often what they need to do is get away from people that they used to associate with that take those drugs and encourage them to take the drugs because they find that these people feed them with this garbage that keeps in the garbage of a drug addiction. So they've got to stop this garbage coming in so there's no more garbage in the brain or going out. You may have a few things like that in your life where if you control the garbage coming in, your thought life would be better and some of your actions would be better. If you'd rather have the city analogy, then it's like you as mayor have to keep the riffraff out of the city, lest they come and take over your city. You do not want your city overrun by criminal gangs. And thoughts, the garbage coming in, can become like criminal gangs if they get together and get too powerful. But you want your city to be a safe place and a wonderful place. So here's the final task. Monitor your inputs. 
entertainment, information, conversations, your activities, will these inputs produce useful thoughts? Is there anything that you would like to adjust? If you start to monitor these, you can make decisions about them and gently nudge your inputs in a more useful direction. All right, that's plenty for today. In a nutshell, what have we been looking at? We have been looking at negative thoughts are not always useless and positive thoughts are not always useful. Remember the Space Shuttle Challenger. The aim in thinking is to discard the useless and embrace the useful. Then we looked at models to help our understanding of thoughts in the brain. The brain we used to think was like a computer. Then we saw that it was closely connected with emotions and with the body. And now we see that the brain is much richer than anything that we've imagined. It's more like a unique, thriving, living, cultural metropolis. You're the mayor. You can use the knack to notice your thoughts and to work with your thoughts by writing it all down. And just remember, garbage in, garbage out. This has been Dr. Christian Heim, signing out. Until next time. That was podcast two in the series, Overcome Negative Thoughts, Overcome Useless Thoughts. Hope you remember to get the knack of noticing your thoughts and working with your thoughts by writing them down. Your marvellous brain is more than a computer. It's a thriving, exciting city and you're the mayor. Remember, if you like these podcasts, please subscribe, spread the word and recommend them to others. This has been Dr. Caroline and Dr. Christian Heim. We'll see you for part three.